Stand and deliver. Hello and welcome to the Stand and Deliver comedy podcast. Uh, you're listening to me, Rodders. I'm the host. Take a seat and put, please fill up from the front uh, like at any reputable comedy club. What's this show all about? Just in case you're listening for the first time or maybe you've got amnesia. Uh, basically, I'm a comedian. I'm a promoter, and quite obviously right now, I'm a podcaster. This uh, comedy this comedy podcast, or comedy-related podcast, is sort of bolted onto the side of our glorious comedy club, Stand and Deliver, which runs every second Thursday up above Smoking Billies in Reading. And this is just my chance to sit down and chat with some of the interesting people who uh, have, have been good enough to come and perform for us at the Stand and Deliver Comedy Club. And also, on top of that, you get an in-depth interview every episode, but also... So it's uh, kind of like a, a personal journal where we uh, sort of pull back the curtain and show you the strange world that we live in as comedians. The the nights on the road, the travelling, uh, the sheer lunacy that we go through day by day. And sometimes it's just a way of relieving the sheer boredom of having to travel to the middle of nowhere and back um, quite quite often. So it's it's if you're a comedy aficionado, uh, and it's a, it's a good way to get even more detail on, on one of your favourite things. And if you're a comedian, then it's it's just nice to know that other people are like out like you are out there doing the same thing. Or maybe you're a pro that's been going for decades, and you can listen to this and go, "Oh well, there, them young comics are doing it all wrong." I don't quite know why I gave him a northern accent. Probably because I'm going to give another podcast a mention. Gavin Webster's The Comedy Results. Uh, he's uh, from Newcastle, to be geographically specific, and. Every Saturday from midnight, he pulls over in his car in a lay-by or maybe goes into a a low-budget hotel and he gets his phones out and does a live radio show where comedians from up and down the country, uh, travelling back from gigs, call him and just tell him how their gigs went. Brilliant. Wonderfully simple. Uh, He saved me from going absolutely mad because I got stuck on a train for nearly three or four hours coming back from London after uh, I think it was Slough got set on fire and uh, I, I rang in uh, I was really really fed up I was like yeah I'm nearly at Reading now Gavin he was like oh cheer up it's not that bad and by the end of the call when I told him about all the silly things that had happened at my gig I felt much better it's kind of like a big uh, comedy group support session but it's just nice uh, no matter what your level on the circuit to tune into this thing and just feel part of something and know that you're not alone out there so in a similar sense we're we're doing a very similar job in that we're sort of sharing our comedy world with anyone who wants to listen and uh, another similar we have is that we are both brought to you by joke pit yeah me and gavin webster go to jokepit.com it's a not only a ticket site but it only sells comedy tickets so if you're a promoter best place to find your audience and if you're a punter looking to see some gigs everyone is selling on this now if you want to find your favorite comedian go to jokepit.com and a big thank you to them for helping out with this here podcast uh, right so what is going on on today's show we've got a guest we've got jake pickford no one wears a bandana quite as well as this man and uh, he's brilliant uh, i've i've known him for a quite a while uh, but only just got round to having him on the podcast he's got this uh, amazing ability to ad-lib is wonderfully unpredictable and has this real affable likable 
yet unpredictable style about him. He's very, very interesting and often MCs at gigs, as in compares for those uh, uninitiated. Um, but yeah, we'll hear from him in a minute. But firstly, I was talking there about honesty and I'm going to tell you about one of those gigs that just didn't quite go the way I wanted it to. It was at the end of July at the Reading Fringe. Yeah, even Reading has its own Fringe Festival now. Um... And I was booked to open for Lucas Jolson and his uh, show called Attitude Adjustment. We were in a nightclub at 9pm, had a big enough audience, but it was quite a large room. Um, but the main issue was, because I was very grateful even to, ha- even to have an audience, uh, because it was quite a last minute advertised show, so you can't take it as a given that you're always going to have a crowd. But one of those crowd members, I, I just wish they hadn't been there. They let in a woman who, well, in hindsight, they shouldn't have done because she was absolutely smashed. Uh, first thing she did was go to the bar and start doing Jaeger bombs uh, before the show had even started. She was like, oh, I don't get to go out very often. I was like, oh, no, um, I wonder why. Um, and she was just chipping in all the time as drunks do. So you normally, it's all right, I don't really care because you, you put them down and then they get the picture and shut up and but she was just so unaware she didn't really realize what an effect she was having and uh, what made this gig even stranger was the other half of the room i.e the majority of them was stone cold sober and very very quiet and every time i had to stop my set to deal with this woman uh i basically would lose them even more so i really struggled and i was and i've had worse gigs i've had far tougher gigs and i've done worse um but this particularly upset me because i was opening for a very good friend and i really wanted to do a brilliant job for him and most frustratingly of all a lot of the people in had seen me before perform in reading uh back when i i wasn't as good a comic but i was in a better room so i got over much better so they must have looked at me and thought oh well he's got worse he was much funnier last time because audiences don't always have the context of what a hard room is and also you can't expect them to but what's really weird is and i guess maybe this is me making excuses for myself but i i do think if this had been putting on a play uh would that drunk woman have been tolerated probably not it's it's just seen as for whatever reason it's perfectly fine for people to be absolutely uh, terribly behaved at comedy nights and usually when something like this happens afterwards i i usually just leave the venue or I, I'm I'm just very polite and I, I go, but I I did I did almost lose it a bit afterwards because he came up to me and I was thinking, oh, I'm really not in the mood. I've just I've just had to work really really hard, not got the result I wanted. I felt I'd let my mate down to be honest, and and then she came up to me and said, oh yeah, I'd like to be a comedian. Oh, I think we should do a double act. I was like, oh god no, and she was like, oh yeah, I'm gonna have a go at being a comedian, and I I couldn't help it. I just looked at her and said, well, let me know when your first gig is, then I'll turn up and interrupt you the whole evening, and you see how you like it. Uh, and she looked all stroppy and sort of flounced off and I just looked I went well it's true and I felt a bit guilty because generally comics and particularly me I just want everyone to be happy and I don't do comedy to get one over on people or to or I don't like being stroppy it just sometimes happens but and then I thought to myself well actually I'm in the right here and she doesn't like the fact I've just held a mirror up to her bad behavior um 
So yeah, a bit of an uncomfortable end to an evening. I've had worse gigs, I've done worse at gigs, but this one meant more because I was performing for a friend and uh, it was for the Reading Fringe and I like the Reading Fringe and it was in my hometown and also I was expecting it to be hard work because I didn't think we'd get many people in. So the whole thing was just, just quite unexpected. You don't expect to get that level of drunkenness at 9pm uh, or even on a Friday. Right, now, were this a comedy night, I wouldn't just be able to bring on our guest, Jake Pickford, because I've kind of lowered the mood with that story. So I'll tell you something else very, very quickly, and this is something I'm very excited about. I'm going to the Edinburgh Fringe. In fact, I'm probably there right now while you listen to this. Uh, From the 18th until the 25th of August, you can find me in Edinburgh. I'm performing in a show called The Global Comedy Club. It's on at half past midnight every day at City Cafe in the room they call 90s, probably because it's got a Spice Girls mural or something and uh, you can catch me performing alongside joe baines and peter merriment good old joe baines my comedy uh, companion on many a mad escapade you might have seen him in uh, my edinburgh vlog i put up last year and uh, i did a podcast with him uh, that you should go really go look up he's got a fascinating life story uh, so i'll remind you of that at the end of the podcast but now let's bring on our guest jake pickford we talked about all sorts of things including why playing rooms that are completely unsuitable can actually be easier in many respects and why he has clown tattoos, what makes stand-up so hard, and why aiming to be the best really doesn't work. It was a real pleasure to sit down with Jake after a gig, decompress and just chat all things comedy. So this is Jake Pickford. This is the Stand and Deliver Comedy Podcast with Rodders. I'm backstage after Mates Rates Comedy where, well, Jake Pickford's just been headlining and by, by sheer coincidence he's in front of me now. You right, Jake? Yeah, I'm great, mate. How are you? I'm very good. So let's just set the scene. We're at uh, Nick Bayard's afternoon. It's not a night. It's very much a comedy afternoon. Yeah. And it's kind of a different vibe this time of day, isn't it? Because the gig started at... Four ended and was done by half past five, and it was a nice, almost full room. Yeah. Uh, but it, it's it's quite different from your normal nighttime show, isn't it? Here's the problem I have with afternoon gigs: is I have not woken up <laughs> most of the time. But what I will say is that four o'clock in the afternoon is far better than say two o'clock in the afternoon. I've done a few at two o'clock in the afternoon, and I've just died because. Yeah. I don't think it's right for comedy. I think the lighting's all wrong. I think people's mindsets are wrong. They're less likely to get drunk, which always works in our favour if they're drunk. Uh, if I get drunk, then I'm the alcoholic. <laughs> and then you don't remember what happened, so it doesn't matter anyway. Exactly. Although, if we follow that thought process, we never leave our fridge. Yeah. We just sit there drinking beer. We did just enter through a fridge. We did. This is a very strange venue. It's a very, very old building. It like, looks like a Tudor roof. I don't know about architecture, but it looks very Tudor. Uh, but they've yeah. added their own quirk. Like, they've given it an American theme. So the door we just slipped into, we're in the staff room now, I think. And... Uh, um, they just the, the door is a, is a freezer very very a peculiar Meg fridge freezer specifically <laughs> you, can't, you can't say that word I know it feels weird doesn't it yeah. it's outrageous but um, you are right about 2 o'clock in the afternoon gigs I think the only exception is when it comes to Edinburgh I think Edinburgh oh, time goes out the window it doesn't matter because people drink I mean 2pm 2 2 crowds are more subdued than 11pm 2am crowds whatever but there is very much a let's drink all day and there's Edinburgh is almost its own time zone its own universe 
I think people have the same attitudes to Edinburgh as they do to like airport lounges when they're about to fl- do you know what I mean when people are like oh we're flying to Tenerife it's 10 o'clock in the morning but fuck it the holidays <laughs> the holidays started already yeah it's very much its own thing and time isn't, isn't very relevant yeah but I thought that I think it's it's nice because there's a nice vibe in here then they're they're not loud but I don't think they're hard work in in the sense that some crowds are yeah I know what you mean especially like the afternoon crowds often they'll come out with the idea of I could be I think, do you know what I think a lot of it is to do with everything is open right now so I could literally be anywhere and I've chosen to be here and that's the amount of work I'm willing to put into it <laughs> everything else is like so I think and I think especially true of English audiences like I think having youth in America they're a lot easier and a lot nicer and a lot more willing to laugh they seem to enjoy whooping I love a good whoop which <laughs> just puts me off if you're that happy then I get worried like, do you, have you not seen the news have you ever been that happy that you've rather than just a regular whoop I, I kind of check myself and go calm it <laughs> yeah, exactly, whoa there yeah. boy I nearly whooped then what the fuck is wrong with me no it's very very odd I do, well, I do like... think I think the people in the UK not tonight like today was lovely they were they were a really nice audience but a lot of the time I think audiences in the UK expect something I quite like that though Do I don't, you? I, don't, I like the whole it makes you work out you, there's, no, there's no you're not guaranteed a laugh anywhere which is nice so it makes you it makes you work you're not entitled to anything you're not you're not even entitled to a to a quiet well laid out room in the most parts of some of the places I've gone you're absolutely accurate I think the most thing we're uh, Somebody put up a thread on the on, on the old uh, Facebook the other day about like what gigs shouldn't be allowed, and every single example that anyone had put up, I couldn't help but think, yeah, but I've had a nice gig in that example. Do you know what I mean? Like some people were like, oh, you never have the bar near the near the venue, and I'm like, yeah, but I've had some of my favourite gigs. It's a good 101 though for if you're running a like I will play almost anything, but if I'm running a gig myself, I would follow those rules. Like yeah, I don't I, want, I don't want gigs to be terrible, but if I'm putting a terrible gig, I want to at least try and have fun. Yeah, exactly. Well, that's it, isn't it? Like you like we were saying earlier, you got a gig like what Jeffrey Jeff runs. Um, which should probably be the antithesis of a perfect gig. Go on, my son. Yeah, it's in the middle of it's a very rowdy pub. But I've had so gig. much fun, though. It's a lovely gig, but it goes against everything that anyone would ever say. Is like, you know, oh, you need this and you need this and you need this. And it's like, yeah, go there. Because you don't. You just need a, a, a good MC. But sometimes, <laughs> I think the pressure is more on the act if the room is nicer, because then it's like their failings will be highlighted. Whereas yeah. I think it, it maybe it takes... I mean, it's a degree of skill, but I think anyone can get a laugh out of being in a wacky situation where suddenly, if the room is just pristine, it's just you and them. You cut this because I've I've had some really wacky gigs recently, and I've had so much fun. Like I had a gig in Bromley by Bow, it was, uh, and our the the function room we were in had a little stage and it was really well lit because it's used uh, you have a lot of rock music in there but the room was the only way the women could access the ladies toilet and it was a really drunk pub it's common um and it was they just kept like coming and going oh is this a toilet i was like well uh if if you walk backwards it's on your left (laughs) (laughs) if you ever need to walk into a room and ask that you are too drunk (laughs) <laughs> and, like, I, but I just had such fun with that. Some people would have been a bit annoyed about it, but I just thought, you know, this yeah. is more being in the moment is more important than I'm going through what's on my hand. But so. at the same time, what do I do now if I'm? 
put on a, a really pristine, well-run club, will that highlight my failings? Oh, God. Because I'll, <laughs> I'll have nothing to springboard off. Because oh, I, I can't say, oh, this is wacky, because it's not. It's very well laid out. It's the exact ideal scenario for you to not be able to do crowd work. And I find that there is a balance. Like, I think that's why a lot of comics, when they do their specials, have things on stage. Uh, as a way of sort of prompting the audience to be like, okay, this is a little bit different from just, you know, seeing a, a play, for example. Not a play, bad example. Uh, no, play, good example. But shit play. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Where there's nothing on... Not shit play, but a minimalist yes. play. That's the word I'm looking minimalist. for. Minimalist. Well, thank you. Yeah, good. <laughs> we got there at the end. And I think that's what you get when you get like a dark room which is a good thing, in my opinion. Yeah. Dark room. Not like a loads of windows, no blinds, daylight coming in. It's like, we're like vampires. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like We, we thrive on dark rooms. Because it is it's fun, though, just shit. to riff off a room that's a mess. So what, what, how, but then how do you do, what do you do then when that is taken from you by the room being too nice? I think that's when you find the mess in the people, you know, in the crowd. Rather than the mess in the room, the mess is a. Trousers are grubby. Fucking shit show, mate. Uh, but that's generally that's what I mean. I think I think there's a lot of. I think the most fun you can ever have on stage is is that instant gratification, like that instant reward, like something happens and you instantly reply to it, and it's and it's great, and everyone in the room is like, ah, that's hilarious, because we all got to experience that as as something that was born raised and died in front of our eyes you know whereas something like someone's come on with some prepared you're like well, I haven't seen the birth of this so it needs to be really funny whereas when someone like a crowd or an audience have literally seen like oh shit I, I can track exactly where that's come from like if you've got something on the wall and then a comic comes up and makes an observation about that you're like oh shit I saw that there They've come on stage, they've seen it, they've made the observation. I keep bumping into you, especially in Reading gigs, and the last one I saw you at, it was in a very strange library room, and you did far more ad-libbing in there than in here. Is that because of the, the, the way it was laid out? I think so. My, I, my, I have a tendency to not be able to not say something. Um, you were far more on script today than I've seen you before, and because I, 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 after having to see you a few times, I've pieced together. Now I know your actual set, so <laughs> there is I, I can I can tell when you're actually on the script. And tonight you were more or less, or certainly more than the the uh, one in the library room. Yeah. Why, why was that? I prefer being off scripts, to be honest. But tonight was pretty simple. In the afternoon gigs, people are much more reserved, I think, and so. They come out, they just want to sit back, they just want to laugh and then go about their day. More passive, but I think so. listening. Not necessarily not willing to laugh, but just more sort of... I think people in the afternoon feel more exposed. I think people in the evening, uh, they tend to, to sort of go with whatever, you know. In the afternoon, they feel very much like... Uh, like they're almost still in work mode. Do you know what right. I mean? Right, no, so you mean that the inhibitions are much more present, yeah, yeah, I think. Yeah, because their, their work hours are generally like the afternoon and the evening and stuff like that. And although it's the weekend, it's still like they, I think they feel in that mode. So they're a lot more sort of prim and proper. Yeah, that makes yeah sense. a bit more uptight. Like, without, you know, not, not insulting them as such, but 
I think people are more inclined, they want to watch and enjoy rather than engage on any sort of interactive level. Absolutely, yeah, because they want to be like, oh, this is completely and utterly my time off. This is the weekend, it's the afternoon, it's, I'm just going to... That's, that's a cool thing. I love it when people come out on a weekend show because I thought, oh, we're, we're part of their weekend. Yeah, yeah, they've yeah. worked all week and now this is a little chunk of, of fun. That's yeah. nice, isn't it? It's beautiful, yeah, it's wonderful, yeah. And it's really rewarding to think about that but obviously it's not always the easiest thing to think about when you're if you're on stage like <laughs> dying that's <laughs> you know, true that's <laughs> you sit there and think well at least they've come out to see this show <laughs> what, what do you do in your mind then you, do you, I, I like to think oh well uh, there'll probably be a good uh, I'll do better at another gig probably and on average if it goes better than not then I'm okay yeah I don't really I mean I, I like to think I don't care but I deeply care um but I think the best thing that you can ever do with it is is just remember that the goal of it is to have an audience that are literally there because of your name and they're literally there to see you. So the difference being, like in the meantime, you'll have to perform to a lot of people that do not have a fucking clue who you are, have no vested interest in you whatsoever and can take you or leave you, you know? Whereas if you, you're basically like aspiring to become someone's favourite restaurant. You know, you're trying to be the thing that they, they would choose to go and see. And then it becomes a lot easier, I think. Because at that point, I mean, they're there, they're there for you. They already love you. you know? It's a nice feeling, though, isn't it? Like, uh, getting a room of strangers to laugh. Because then you know that they're not your mates, they're not doing you a favour. So yeah. it's kind of like, oh, I earned that. Yeah, it's so much more rewarding, isn't it? Because it's... But you think about that. It's, it's, it's so fucking hard to do. To make one person laugh is like, you know... Like... It's quite difficult still, but, you know, it's not impossible. To make a room full of people who don't know you, they don't owe you anything, you know. They're not related to you. That's who we... We, we, we laugh mostly at, at sort of a, at people that we know, like our friends. We're more likely to say to our friends, oh, you should try comedy, you know, because you're funny. It's not that they're funnier than anyone else. It's just that we, we feel this bond with them. And that's what comedy is, isn't it? It's not about necessarily making the most amount of people laugh. It's just about building up a bond with as many people as possible so as many people as possible think they're your friend without actually being your friend yeah yeah thing. I know what you mean yeah, do you yeah. know what I mean like, it's quite a weird thing to do to basically fool oh, it's not fool them but like convince all these people that they want to be your best friend because it's yeah it's people skills 101 isn't it and it seems to be like uh, sure a, a great joke will help you a lot I'm not dis- I'm not saying give up writing no, uh, but yeah, yeah. I think a comic with okay material who is very charismatic and can read a room and is good with people yeah. is infinitely more bookable than a person with brilliant written lines that just can't engage on any level. Yeah, that's the thing, man. And that's the, that's the main thing. I think I see a lot of new comics starting out that have got phenomenal material and they, and they maybe pack it in because they're not as comfortable on stage as they want to be. And so it's like, well, that, that material is actually some of the best shit you've ever, you'll ever write. But if you're not able to deliver it uh, completely comfortable on stage, like if you can't walk on stage and be exact... Sell it. And you need to spark up a rapport, don't you? I think that's the... Yeah, man, you just need to... You just need to address everything that could be a potential elephant in the room, I think, for a start. Because people are 
fucking idiots. <laughs> and they will. Like, if you've... Like, these tattoos on my arms, I know for a fact that people stare at these. Yeah, he has a... For, for, the, for the record, Jake has two very scary clown faces tattooed on his forearms. Uh, one is, I think... Smiling malevolently, Joker style. The other one is gritting its teeth in a snarl, uh, and they are not. And they both have their the irises of their eyes are r- blood red. Oh, and he can make them wink. That's <laughs> horrible. <laughs> uh, yeah, I guess you have to address that. Yeah, because people will stare at it. People will stare if you if you if you look like somebody but not quite enough. People will stare at you and go, "Who the f- who does he look like?" But like, isn't that comedy course? Less than one. Oh, I look like ex-celebrity. Right. Uh, <laughs> you need to address it. You just need to address the fact they're thinking that to move them on from that because people will tend to get stuck in thoughts quite easily. I didn't like, think Ellie Craft was particularly ugly until he got up on stage and said, I'm, I'm really ugly. Hang on a minute. Why are you doing this? Why are you putting yourself he's, down? He's not. But it works <laughs> in his way because like, guaranteed that somebody, somebody in the crowd will be looking at him and going... Yeah. <laughs> What's going on here? <laughs> you know, because people are people are for the most part pretty shallow. Yeah, well, everything's you know. done on. It's all done very quickly. Yeah, everyone is naturally judgmental. You form an opinion on things instantly because without even really engaging. Us. Because that's what protects us. That's what keeps us safe. You know, yeah. we we have been shown multiple times that like, you know, you look at someone, you judge them. Say you judge them in a certain way, and then you get it wrong, and they turn out to be a dickhead. Right? You've been hurt there. And so you, what the lesson that we take from that is, well, I should be more careful when I'm looking at people and judge them more. Like, you know, I should take the time to judge them more. You know I find interesting. I find there's, like, well, with me personally, and I think with a lot of acts, it seems to be there's this huge disconnect between what, how you think or maybe even want to appear to an audience and how you actually appear. Oh, God, and I, yeah. think, I think the closer yeah. I, I think of, well, what am I actually like? Which is a very impossible question to ask because you have no... <laughs> but the, when I stopped kind of pretending to be my favourite comics, that's when I got a little bit more uh, enjoyment you, and, and I... Because that's, that's the interesting one, isn't it? Because you can project all you want, but they're not going to see it. I think, that, I, think, I think it's scary how much audiences that aren't comics can see the flaws in people that want to be comics. And we'll just, they'll just see straight through any of that shit, man. Like, I wore a suit for quite a while and I don't know well I know why but it just seems ridiculous now I think because I'd, I'd watch Jimmy Carr honestly it was, yeah, it was well, yeah, I thought oh he's this big uh, unflappable Goliath I want to be like that and I can't do that professionalism is viewed like you think to yourself well he's a professional comic I want to be a professional comic so I'll wear a suit and you and you completely forget about how many comics don't wear suits because yeah. you're like well he wears suits and they'll but also it works for him it doesn't work for me I did it the other day I emceed a, a night and it was a casino and I was like ah oh, better like Address. Did you still wear your red bandana with no, your suit? I, that would have been no. brilliant. That would have been the way you could have owned it. <laughs> I don't know why I didn't as well. I wore a suit. I even referenced the fact that I normally wear a bandana, but I wore a suit. And I know for a fact they could all see straight through. But all your I look like a hippie yeah. jokes wouldn't have worked because you Went wouldn't. Out of the fucking window. Business hippie. <laughs> and I was like, oh, I look like Lieutenant. Oh, no. No, I'm a hippie no, on, a, no. on a grad scheme. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> but back to those clown tattoos. Is there a, I don't want you to spoil your joke about them, but do is there a story? behind them or was it well yeah I got this one first and interestingly this one I called Ronnie Paco Valentine because that was the name of a drink that me and my friends made up when we were drinking underage we used to steal port from uh, my friend's parents and mix it because we were uncultured we used to mix it with 
Pepsi. You named it. Port and Pepsi. And I don't remember where the name come from, but we called it. Isn't that a Snoop Dogg song? Nearly. Very nearly. And oh gin. Don't don't make don't get me started. The amateur cocktail hour with Jake. So you named it after the Yeah, so this one is called Ronnie Parker Valentine and this one's called Ronnie Rigsby, who is the character that Logan Murray plays. Uh, when he's on stage and he taught me uh, or I did his course so uh, that's why I named them but irrelevantly they're both clowns they recommend uh, they, they're kind of comedy and tragedy but not really yeah you know they both look very aggressive but did it did much like did you agonise over the design or was it just I, I, I'm guessing you're quite impulsive how did you guess uh, <laughs> you know, put these clowns on my arm now what would give you that idea I got this one first and it took three hours and it was my first tattoo and everyone that I speak to about tattoos is like are you fucking insane why would you get your first tattoo for three hours like, that's a big deal I guess you've committed then haven't you you can't back out oh I just thought it'd be like, I like comedy and clowns are funny aren't they and people are afraid of clowns which I find hilarious as, as a concept like, I'm like why <laughs> like, like why like but your clown your, your clowns meant to be scary or did they or did the design come out different on your arm to in your mind so I think basically what it was is that part of it is the fact that when I, I grew up in a place that is that was sort of that was um, like fringe rough do you know what I mean? Like, so for example, like it, where I grew up wasn't necessarily rough, but the the, the the places around it were rough, right? And so I, I I grew up with this image that you have to be a fucking hard man, you have to be, you have to come across like you'd be able to handle yourself, because if you don't, then you'll get picked on, you get you you'll be weak, and men can't show emotions and stuff like that, which is bollocks. You know what I mean? Like, it's taken me a long time to get to the point where I'm like, oh, do you know what, like. I, I don't care if I cry in front of a stranger and they think I'm less of a man, like bollocks to them, you know. But I think I got this one when I was still in that mindset of like, like you've got to be. And that's why it's all snarling and aggressive. That's why it's a psychopath. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so I actually got this from a drawing. It's not not a drawing of a tape, but just a drawing that I found on the internet. I went to the tattoo artist and I said, "Can you do this for me?" And she did it. And then I went back a year later and I said, "Can you make that tattoo?" Um, sort of maniacally happy yeah right ah. and she did this other one freehand which I find incredible that someone has the ability to look at this and draw on flesh and like a, on a, a needle and it's phenomenal I mean I, I think it's a fantastic tattoo but I also think that I, I, I don't necessarily think that people need to have a reason for having a tattoo like people don't need like Maybe. Well, actually, it reminds me of my childhood. It's just nice to want a clown on me arm. I like clowns, you know what I mean? Like, Maybe people overthink them. I certainly do. Because the reason I don't have a tattoo is not because I think some tattoos are really, really nice, but I cannot think of anything that I would want emblazoned on my skin for the rest of my life. Yeah. Whereas, like, I don't think you even thought of rest of my life when you asked for it. Well, uh, I mean, I'm well aware that they'd be there, but I just don't care. Like, if, right. I, if I make a mistake and it's there for the rest of my life, you know, fuck it. Like, it's no different from, like, a scar, is it? Like... Scars are often mistakes, and we have them for the rest of our lives. It doesn't really matter. Like they don't look like scary clowns. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, what sort well, of accident would you have to be in? Credit uh, <laughs> <laughs> accident. I know that. Yeah. You, you, an accident in a clown car. Ah. Uh, <laughs> what was I reading the other day? And they were like, "Oh, uh, a clown got involved in an accident." 
uh, and they were wearing clown shoes, but they were not responsible. And I'm like, in what universe uh, w- is driving and wearing clown shoes not responsible for the accident? Like, how is it not a little bit responsible? Like, I drive, and I've tried to drive barefoot, and it's fucking hard. I can't imagine how difficult it is to drive a clown shoe. Um, but going back, going back to... Um, uh, the gig. Every time I see you, you seem to be. I never, I never recall you being miserable or, or like moping or anything like that. But I don't remember you ever having so much fun with comedy. The last couple of times I've seen you, uh, you just seem to be having an absolute ball with it. It was there. Is there something that happened with it recently that made it more fun, or is I, I've only just become aware? I just think there was that, a good three-year gap or something where I didn't see you because we yeah, were off gigging yeah, out the right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was definitely a long time. I think. Do you know what? I constantly remind myself as I'm going up on stage, uh, you do like this. Like, this is what... Yeah, we don't do. have to do We could do something else. Do I could be at home. Like, that's, and that's the thing is that we could do anything else, but people that choose to do this, I think often forget that they enjoy it as well. And that's a key difference because... Of it. Like, my persona on stage is very, I think, similar to my persona off stage, right? And I generally, for the most part, want to enjoy life. You know, being off stage. I want to enjoy that. I don't always, but I try for the most part to enjoy that. And if I don't take that on stage as well, then I'm just no different from anyone else. You know, mm. I'm not. <laughs> it is meant to be fun, isn't it? It's, it's meant to be fun, fundamentally. Yeah, I think. And the uh, little, little pun there. Hey. Uh, <laughs> unintended puns for the win. Uh, but like, I think that, I think for a long time, I was basically. Um, I, I I forgot that I forgot that it was meant to be fun as well. You know, I had this whole mindset of like, I must work on it. I need to I need to be the best. I need to be amazing. It's like, well, you're never going to be like, who the fuck is the best? Like, I can't even answer that. If I can answer that question, then I could work towards it. But no, the best. I found the more kind of short termist I've become with comedy, the less grumpy I am about it. The totally. bitter. And like, if I just think one gig at a time, then I appreciate it because it's really nice that like I don't know a promoter puts on a night and invites you to Love do it. it whereas if you're striving for your BBC3 TV series uh, then you kind of miss that niceness mm-hmm. exactly and on top of that I mean if you try and if you try and break down the numbers and the percentages and all that and you're like you know what there's a lot of people that are are doing alright as a comic that I haven't heard of that you know that nobody in this room would have heard of and they're still doing alright and that's fundamentally what I wanted. I didn't start out doing this so I could be on telly. Like, I didn't want to... Admittedly, I did. When I started out, I was like, I'll fucking sell out the O2 in a year. <laughs> Do you know, the, the blind sort of... Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm going to be the best in the world, ever. And, and after sort of a short period of time, I think you realise that, which is where you get a lot of people quit quite quickly. Because they go, I, I didn't want to do this. I wanted to get things from this like so I didn't necessarily want it was it. a means to an end a stepping stone wasn't it yeah, yeah, yeah. it's like oh that looks amazing that's why people think on the X Factor people go on Britain's Got Talent well I think oh, perpetuates the myth that myth like um, that they kind of gloss over the fact uh, Robert White performed for 15 years they, they, kind of, yeah. they show audition and it seems to be like if you just get up then maybe you'll discover this innate talent yeah. and that is rubbish yeah like it's your forte like anyone's forte has ever been comedy and they haven't had to work at it I like, mean to take Robert White he obviously is is probably born musically gifted and naturally got a, an aptitude for, for writing great jokes. But do you think he'd be anywhere near the level he is now if he hadn't 
practiced and crafted. <laughs> it's just it's, it's insulting, isn't it, to think that anyone would even yeah. entertain the idea that you can just get up and win the X Factor. It's <laughs> mental. It's also I don't know why they do that myth because it's doing themselves down because it undermines the whole achievement of winning the show. I don't know if it, I don't know if they care about doing themselves down. Did they? I mean, given the fact that did you ever see Steve Brookstein's, who was the first one in the X Factor? Um, he wrote a book because. He was very annoyed at the outcome of it. It was really interesting. But no, I won. You're better off coming second historically, I've seen. Yeah, yeah. Well, Weirdly one enough, I don't know why. didn't win it. Uh, Will Young did infinitely better than Gareth Gates. He came second. Absolutely. That was the example I was going to That was the last election I voted in. Yeah. <laughs> well, Gareth Gates did Unchained Melody as well, right? As his winning song, which is... Oh, that, uh, that was um, Rick Waller. Uh, who did what did Gareth anyway Gareth Gates did this huge song Evergreen and oh, no, that was Will Young no that was Will Young Evergreen, oh I can't really yeah. no one remembers uh, no, no one remembers and One Direction didn't win it uh, Lamar didn't win Popeye well, you know no Will Young was huge. able to take this moment and because he was, <laughs> was uh, second he made it Evergreen and now he's got a problem with conifers in his garden I made, it, I made a Will Young joke on someone's status the other day and I think it completely went somebody got a it was Sean Doherty yes know, I know uh, well, Sally Firth to give her a stage yeah, name yeah and uh, she put up a status so she, she just got a signed picture from Will Young because one of her daughter's friends was like friends with Will Young and I was like I bet that made you ever gleam <laughs> and I was so happy oh, with it but that's dear. awful that's the worst I bet she shook her head and put her phone into a handbag and walked oh, on to her gig is there anything though that frustrates you about comedy um uh, I don't think this is solely about comedy. I think this is about people in general. People are afraid to laugh at things that they find funny because they're worried that other people will judge them for their sense of humour. And that irritates me the most out of everything. Uh, I, I, I think that we spend way too much time worrying about what we think is universally funny instead of what we think is funny. Do you mean we as people in general, or comics yeah. or audiences or both? Everyone, everyone. I guess I one think, has a knock-on effect because we're yeah, thinking, yeah. oh, what's the audience like? And then yeah. you work that in really... <laughs> and then the audience are like, oh, that's probably funny because I've heard something similar, you know, and, uh, and that's what humour is. Rather than, like, actually... But people are just so afraid to admit their, their sense of humour is really weird. And I think most people have a really weird sense of humour. I think we're a weird species. Like, we're just weird in general. Yeah, I think British culture has a very like look like what other culture could spawn nonsense like Monty Python yeah, and all exactly that kind of weird that, yeah. stuff. And we are weird, and I think we're moving the young ones. And some, oh god, yeah, man. If you look at like, like Noel Fielding, <laughs> for example, I had, a, I had an audience once where like we were gigging in a breakfast room of a pub, and I couldn't. And there was a pedal bin on stage, so I I I, I couldn't resist. I picked up the condiments and chucked them in the bin, and they were horrified. And this was. An just people in their 40s oh, and I, really? I said to them well hang on you obviously lived through the 80s do you remember the young ones they destroyed whole houses in the name of comedy and you're blanching yeah, yeah, at, a, yeah. at me binning a ketchup bottle yeah, <laughs> they enjoyed that <laughs> they did once there was a point of reference but it, it was amazing how much tension it caused you know, that's the thing that's oh amazing. he's like, binned yeah, the ketchup yeah, yeah. Oh, <laughs> how will this five star hotel recover yeah, yeah. doesn't he know that's expensive <laughs> no it really fucking is look what you've done yeah how dare you? That could have been used as fake blood. Uh, but that's what I think that people... I think, that's, I think that is what annoys me about comedy. More than as if the, the uh, ringleader or alpha or whatever you want to call them had laughed, then they would have all laughed yeah, too. Exactly, because people... Are, and do you know what, as well? 
It's a herd mentality. What people tend... Yeah, absolutely. There's a really good book I read recently called Herd. And I'm sorry, what was your other point? You are saying people... People have a tendency to uh, fall towards whoever is the leader of their group. And if they don't have a leader of their group, if they're not in the group, they fall towards their partner. So what their partner finds funny, and generally women as well, which is why one of the pieces of advice I gave early on was try and make all the women in the, la- in the room comfortable. You don't have to make them laugh, just make them comfortable. Right? Because if you do that... Give them a pillow. <laughs> yeah, sure. Come on, I got cosmopolitan. No, uh, if you... Uh, like, it does, obviously, there's, there's, there's huge... That's a, that's a ridiculous bit of advice, because... Uh, it's impossible. There's no generic thing that that, that make an entire gender laugh, you know. But if you can, generally speaking, make them more comfortable in the room, then their partners will be more comfortable and they're more willing to laugh at things, right? If a woman in a relationship doesn't like something for some reason, their male partner will inherently not like that because they want to fuck. And that's basically what it is. <laughs> you know, I think in general life you're better upsetting the husband like full on rather than upsetting the wife because then you've got the wrath of both of them on you it seems exactly. to be that doesn't exactly it whereas right, yeah, I don't know why no, patriarchy in it is bollocks Patreon yes Patreon donate now <laughs> oh that was smooth that was a smooth I don't even have a Patreon I'm not going to say that one I don't know I can't even bother with that get one after Too this one admin. episode <laughs> so you've made the, uh, the appeal yeah, give me a dollar a month so I'll carry on doing this thing that I've managed to do for free for quite a while in Britain as but well. yeah they are they, it's a, it is very much I do look as an audience as like a herd or, a, or like a collective organism they sometimes are. they are they, I think they they that because I think what it is is that we're all very uh, like when we're in a room especially becomes very infectious sorry becomes very infectious so whatever whatever like not always like sometimes the person I said it in my set tonight the person next to you will be laughing at something and you'll look at them and be like the fuck you fucking weirdo you know which is great I love that I love it um, but for the most part I think that yeah we are herds we, we're, we're sheeple because we're- the, the rooms do build up momentum and the second half of a gig is normally mm-hmm. traditionally first in the second section is the safe spot not always it's the easiest spot but generally because by then the audience should be relaxed and all laughing yeah. together and feel yeah. a sort of unity yeah well I was going to use that exact word yeah they're a unit they're a unity you know they're I get that because the fact is that I think from what I've sort of research to to you know use a use a use a way better word than what I would put for what I've actually done. He, laughter was the 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 result of escaping danger. So it's like the like we've got away from that. It's like a um like a relief, relief isn't it? Relief. I, I read something yeah. along it. Uh, the Naked Jape summarizes a whole load of studying on it. Uh, Jimmy Carr's book. Yeah, uh, I read it. Wrote yeah, it yeah. with somebody else. They they, wrote, they went for all these studies of why chimpanzees laugh and and why it's funny for so, you see someone fall on a banana skin and half of it is the relief that it's not you being harmed. Yeah, apparently, absolutely. Yeah, I can well believe that, and I think that's what audiences do as well. Which is why when you go on stage and you look a bit different or you look a bit, you know, if there's something there might be a bit like, oh, hang on. He's not. He's not ours. He's not one of ours. He's a stranger. He's a weirdo. You know. I'm not gonna laugh at it because I feel anxious. I feel, you know, like something could go wrong here. It is odd this the attitude of a lot of it being us and them, yeah. audience and comedians. Whereas, like, I, well, Sean Morley like goes on about how he doesn't like that kind of divide. Yeah. Uh, where like, it, and it has become very combative comedy in a lot of areas. Like, it's all oh, make us laugh, not oh well, we'll give you a chance, and then we'll all 
build something together. Yeah. Uh, and a, a nice gig for me almost feels. I mean, I'm you know I'm doing the work. They're sitting on their bums, but it feels a bit collaborative. Yeah, I think so. I think there's a lot of it where you take for example Angel. I think is a, is a great example of Angel comedy of where you go there and you think to yourself, these lot really want to have a good time. They really want to enjoy themselves. And as a result of that, they're going to enjoy themselves because that's what they want to do. You know? Self-fulfilling prophecy. And, they're, and they're, if someone's awful, they tolerate, but don't tend to let it spoil the whole evening, which exactly is a really that. worse some nights. If someone goes on and for whatever reason, you know, it just doesn't go very well for them. Sometimes like the whole bottoms fall out of the room. You're like, oh, well, that's yeah. the gig over. And then the MC is like trying to bring it back up and it oh. just feels awkward as hell. Uh, which is why I mean if you have a bad MC you're fucked in my opinion it is, it is the most important job on the bill yeah totally yeah and if you don't have a good MC then you're working so much harder and uh, I think that a lot of times um, people have a tendency to um, uh, look at look at uh, uh, sort of the, the opening act as, as a sort of fallback MC almost like if so, a lot of the times when you go to a gig, you'll have the MC, maybe a new MC, maybe an MC as. I never see the point of putting new people on MC as MC, but what I always do, I always put one of my strongest on first. Yeah. Like, but I did, yeah, it shouldn't be a substitute for the MC because yeah, exactly. they haven't got enough time. They've only normally got ten to fifteen minutes. So how yeah. can they can't do all the crowd work? They haven't got time. That's the MC's job. Yeah, exactly. That. It's not fair on them. If you, well, exactly. And it, uh, I've felt that before, where I've been like, "You're only putting me on first because you know that I MC at other gigs," and as a result of that, like you know, which I don't, I don't mind necessarily. But if you have a, I had a month where I was first at absolutely everything. At first, I, yeah. I relished the challenge, and by the end of the month. I was like, oh, just give me a nice spot for one yeah, second. Yeah, I'll take anything. Middle, like something. Yeah, but that's the thing is that they're very different jobs as well, opening to MCing. And people forget that, especially people that haven't MCed that much or haven't opened that much. They realise that they're very different jobs. You know, the same with same with closing, same with middle. Like they're all completely different jobs. And I love that because it's you can master one thing and think that you've mastered comedy, and then you go on to the next thing. And you're like, oh, I'm terrible. You yeah, know? like it's like, interesting, isn't it? It's almost like starting over. And yeah. MCing is so much fun. Go from a five to a ten. MCing is the the most fun, I think. Well, but, like there's no not as much time pressure. I mean, there's more pressure on you to make the light, night run well. But like the, doing the crowd work is it's just generally. fun. Yeah, just chatting works. to people is nice. And yeah. if you're the kind of act that can do that, then it's great fun. Yeah, exactly. If you've got something where you can easily transition between jokes and and, and crowd work, which a lot of acts can't do. You ever see a lot of acts and they're like, this is the most scripted feeling thing. Scripted old, what is your job? Let what me you, look up yeah, the yeah, plumber yeah, yeah, joke yeah. in my brain. Just have a chat with them. The last will come yeah, eventually. Yeah. Audiences are often just naturally very funny, so you've just got to mine it out of them. Easy as well. I had a guy who his job was he was a fortune teller on a, a fortune telling helpline. I thought, That's can so we just amazing. unbook the rest of the acts and talk to him all night? Yeah, <laughs> exactly, yeah. He's going to have so many great stories. And that's the thing as well. Is the best acts, I think, make everyone in the audience feel like they're the funniest person in the world yeah do you know what I mean like there's a difference between acts that are funny versus acts that make other people feel funny as well as being funny I think that's important because audiences generally for the most part like no one wants to sit in the front row usually no you know I mean? no I, I was seeing people today and it took a job to get people in the front but it happened eventually yeah, but yeah people are very reluctant public speaking is the biggest is the biggest fear right and I think it's like death and then it's strange speaking. isn't it yeah it baffles me because uh, I think I guess we do it a lot, so yeah, everyone should fucking do it, man. I don't think it makes very. I mean, it, it can make you 
<laughs> if you do it for too long, I think it can make you less good at actually socialising with people. Yeah, because it's a very different dynamic, isn't it? Like, why aren't they listening to me? Oh, yeah, I'm not on stage. <laughs> yeah, exactly, yeah. Or you just, like, not talk because you want to let somebody else have a really long talk. And then you're like, oh, you wanted me to be part of this. I forget, it's not your set. Uh, <laughs> we're so well-trained to just we sit in silence. Very strange. While other people talk. I don't do crowd work at weddings. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Have you ever done, like, any... No, I try not. I'd very Well, obviously I have. I have. I'm lying. But I try, I try to keep a lid on it. But it just naturally comes out sometimes. But it's interesting what you say. What, and I asked you what annoys you about comedy. You didn't say anything about comedy politics or not give, or oh, bookings no, or anything no. like that. It was You pulled out a fundamental thing of human nature. And that's... That's interesting because I, I bet if I was asked that question, I bet I'd come up with something like, "Oh, the politics on the circuit," or, oh, or something. Yeah. I bet I would. See, I, th- I don't know whether that's just me or not, right? Because I, in, I see a lot of similarities between a lot of the open mic circuit and school, and I hated school, and I, uh, 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 I, I actively tried not to be in any circles of, of, of friends or groups or anything like that. I was a bit of a loner, not bullied, not necessarily picked on just not in a group and there were groups so example last day of school uh, loads of people were arranging like oh we're going to get a pink Cadillac to pick us up at the end of school or we're going to do this or do that you know and I my solution was just don't go so I just didn't go in for the last day of school (laughs) I was like fuck that shit I'm not fucking I don't want to be like known to be in this group of friends and therefore can't be in this group of friends because they don't get on or whatever and I see a lot of that in, in I think comedy as well I think there's a lot it's of naturally cliquey isn't it even if it's groups working together positively it's all that yeah, has to be yeah, there's no other way of running it though you can't not have cliques I think people just naturally are drawn to tribes that's how we've been for thousands of years so what do you do just ignore it I and like just to, to yeah, do I the can't. gigs you can not by choice yeah. it's just naturally what comes to me is that I don't I don't, I don't, I don't care so if you get booked, great. If you don't, oh, never mind. Yeah. Someone else will have me. Yeah, I don't want to. Like, right. I don't want to be constantly gigging at this group and, and get to know all these people and stuff. Well, if I get to know somebody, I don't want it to be because they know somebody else. I want it to be because like, they have a genuine interest mm. in trying to get to know me. Yeah. You know. But for the most part, as well. Uh, uh, comics are fucking weird, man. <laughs> like, they are, though, aren't they? <laughs> they're, they're just weird people. And I think for the most part, I'd rather be friends with people that are actually... Uh, take your point, yeah. Have, like, real jobs and stuff like that, you know what I mean? Like, are actually... I think comics, for the most part, are the fringes of society. And they, by by dint of their very existence, don't deserve that many friends. <laughs> <laughs> what a great way to end it. Uh, I know what you mean, though. Sometimes, and also, you have to have... A balance. I love talking about comedy. I love watching comedy. But if you just do comedy, what do you talk about on stage? What are you circular? Doing life. Like, how do you live that way? There's a lot more to life than comedy, even if you love it. But I love a sad song. Right. I love a song that evokes all sorts of emotions in me. And like films. Like I love a film that will make me cry. I love getting in that mindset, man, because it's the complete opposite of what people are like on stage. You know, people want to be happy and stuff like that. I think it's super important to be able to access all of those mindsets. And if, you, if you're just friends with comics, like, comics are fucking shallow. They won't talk about their emotions. They won't ever, like, you know... And everything is about laughs, no matter how you're feeling anyway. Everything's so. about laughs. And I fucking love... There's so many different, like, emotions. There's a, whole, there's a whole emotional menu to sample. Yeah, man. And if you don't Amazing. want... 
if you're not watching the Green Mile every day, uh, <laughs> <no>. <laughs> I, I, I wouldn't have time to go to work. Anyway, yeah, well, that yeah. is uh, well, uh, Jake. Where can we find you o- online to look you up and stuff? Oh, online, I'm uh, at Jake Pickford on um, all of them. Except for Facebook. I'm your Facebook. At Mr. Jake Pickford. Because people are idiots and steal my... I think I actually stole my own name there. I think my actual profile is at Jake Pickford. And my Facebook page that I want people to see is Mr. Jake Pickford. Just just remember that I've got a website. Uh, and that's jakepickford.com. And it's got my podcasts on it. And it's got my videos on it. And it's got my dates on it as well. And that's all that is needed in life, isn't it? Excellent. Thanks very much, Jake. It's been a lot of fun. I this is a generally really fun podcast. A lot of fun, man. This is the Stand and Deliver Comedy Podcast. That was Jake of the Pickford Variety. For all your Jake Pickford-related news, go to jakepickford.com. Go see him at a gig. He's excellent. Um, right, so I thought I'd end on a story that's slightly more upbeat than my uh, moaning monologue at the beginning of this um, uh, <laughs> podcast. And uh, I thought I'd tell you about... Uh, well, Edinburgh is always... It's, it's very very good for comics because you can do loads and loads of gigs in one day but i think uh last weekend i got more stage time than anyone in edinburgh uh, or was it last weekend uh no it's beginning of the month i don't know time has no meaning anymore but i had a weekend recently where i started by going i had uh, three gigs on one day and one gig on the sunday i started off at this lovely afternoon gig called coffee and cocktails and jokes it's at the king and queen uh, near tottenham court road in london and this this gig is lovely. It's a wonderful open mic, and I get uh, booked to MC it every now and again, and it's lovely. It's the only gig where I get a message off the promoter saying, what sort of cake would you like me to buy? Jack Wheeler is just lovely, and uh, he, he bakes you... It's, it's almost a parody of niceness. He bakes cake for you and raises money for Macmillan Cancer. Absolutely wonderful. If you don't like Jack, then there's, there's something wrong with you, because there's, there's nothing wrong with him. He's too nice. Uh, but it's an absolutely lovely, warm, friendly gig and uh, it was it was a strange one because it was a three hour epic usually that is way too long and I was thinking oh my goodness how are we going to get through all this but the acts were wonderful and the audience were particularly up for it and particularly lovely they were were well up for it for the whole three hours which is incredible really that, that for wrestling fans that is as long as an episode of Raw uh, and we know that that is far too long these days I'll have to watch it on fast forward um, and uh, the opening act was a 40-minute Edinburgh Fringe preview by this lunatic who called himself Alpha Wolf. Uh, He was a survival expert who brought with him a rucksack full of props. Uh, I don't want to spoil any of his jokes, but the the rucksack is mostly full of toasters. And uh, I got up on stage and said, and the really funny thing is, uh, he's going to have to take that back on the tube with him. And then afterwards, I found out that this is actually the case. He was travelling by public public transport uh, with that huge... It was an army-style rucksack full of props. That is why I could not be bothered to be a prop comedian especially when commuting from Reading to get to my gigs every every uh, evening um, and then uh, we all, oh yeah we also had somebody doing their first ever spot which is really really exciting a comedy debut from Sophia Garrity and uh, her whole family was in including her little brother so it kind of had like a, a family party atmosphere as well they were all lovely I spent ages at the bar with them afterwards and it is wonderful when you see a first time performance uh, where they really really go for it uh, despite how nervous they must have felt she just absolutely went for it and the room was lovely and the combination of the 
punters being so nice and Sophia just going for it made for a wonderfully fun uh, five minute performance and then I made the very short uh, walk over to Covent Garden where I performed uh, for a rather more difficult audience I did two shows in the basement of an Italian restaurant like I keep going back there as well uh, it's a really good uh, training ground because it's it's hard work expectations are high and so are the alcohol levels uh, from from the punters that are in there so they make you work for it luckily the trains behaved themselves and I didn't listen to the entire comedy results go out live I was in bed by a sensible time and the next day I was emceeing mates rates comedy um, uh, and the notable thing about that is that it's an afternoon gig uh, really really nice we had a a pretty good audience considering it was August and Izzy Lawrence uh, who you can hear now on Radio 4 turned up because she was mates with a headliner and sat in the audience so it's not every day uh, where an audience member has more experience than everyone on the bill <laughs> so yeah that was that was nice there's no way you could make the excuse oh well the audience don't understand comedy because Izzy very much does <laughs> so that was exciting so I managed to uh, rack up more stage time uh, in two days uh, in London and Reading uh, than I did in some days in Edinburgh uh, so that was all rather nice in fact last Monday I went back to this uh, basement in Covent Garden and I went on about third and there'd been a very chatty audience member and I just couldn't be bothered of it I just said to him look mate I, I don't care what you have to say believe it or not I didn't get into comedy to listen to people um, and thankfully he sort of got the message and actually took it in quite good humour luckily but either way I was being stroppy <laughs> um, so yeah I, I, that's pretty much it for this week's podcast please do write a review on iTunes or if you can't write a review on whatever you listen to please just send this to your friends uh, why is because the more people listen to it uh, the more likely I am to do more episodes and keep this little thing alive because it costs me money to maintain the website and host the episodes etc it costs me time uh, which I don't mind doing. It's great fun. I'm not playing a tiny violin uh, because uh, that is a terrible cliche. But if you do work with me on this, because uh, uh, it's as much your podcast as mine in some respects. So uh, let's work together get some more ears and downloads on this podcast because it is definitely growing bit by bit and if you didn't listen to the last episode with Jeff Steele go and download it now it's an absolute cracker he talks about how one of the toughest gigs ever has actually made him the performer he is today um, so um, yeah that's pretty much it I'm uh, just going to give a rundown of what I'm doing here's some highlights from my gig diary from the 18th until the 25th, I'm going to be at the Edinburgh Fringe Festival performing for Global Comedy uh, cl- alongside Joe Baines and Peter Merriment. We're in City Cafe, the room called the 90s, at half midnight every day. Uh, load, I'm doing loads of other uh, spots. Follow my Twitter and, and go on my website for more details. For example, I'll be performing at the Ed Factor. It's a gong show in Edinburgh. I'm even doing um, co- uh, Stand Up Meets Robot Wars in a show called Lolbot Wars. So if you're up at the Edinburgh Fringe do say hello and try and track me down in fact if you do track me down um, maybe I can't promise but I'll try my best to say hello to you on the next podcast and on the topic of Edinburgh uh, I don't want to give too much away in case this all falls apart but I have booked in a couple of very special interviews for this podcast that I'll be recording in Edinburgh uh, so stay tuned for announcements or rather stay subscribed is, is the modern way of saying isn't it and uh, fingers crossed I'll come back from Edinburgh with some excellent interviews to share with you 
One very special gig I want to mention for After Edinburgh. On the 29th of August, I'm going to be performing at a night, it's a one-off night called Ruffle at the Rec Sock. It's in Aldermaston at the Aldermaston Recreational Society. Tickets are £10. It's headlined by Will Mars. Mojo Jones is there as well, as is Kath Brown. And Nick Bayard will be there alongside me and Carl Richard. Three Reading comics on that, Bill. Uh, big up the Reading comedy delegation, as we call ourselves. The next show at the Stand and Deliver Comedy Club up above Smoking Billies is on the 12th of September. September. Yeah, we took August off for the first time in three years, uh, but we're going to be back with a heck of a show, headlined by Harriet Dyer and opened by Bob Monroe and emceed by me, uh, Rodders. So get your tickets now. Just go to standanddelivercomedy.com or just go to jokepit.com and look us up. Don't miss out on your tickets. I've got to get on a train to Edinburgh. Thanks for listening. This show has been brought to you with a little bit of help from our friends at jokepit.com, connecting comedy. And cheers to Adam Weikert, who composed and performed the excellent theme song for this. You look him up on Facebook, W-E-I-K-E-R-T. This is Rodders signing out for the Stand and Deliver Comedy Podcast. I'll catch you on the next episode. Hold up. 